Welcome to Canterbury Gardens Community Church. My name is Shabu. I'm one of the pastors here at Canterbury. Uh, this is our time of our service where we continue our time of worship, where we hear from God's Word. And if you're new to the church or exploring the Christian faith, we pray uh, that you will encounter Jesus. Uh, this morning, we have got a great friend of ours by the name of Chris Ayres. If you come through the foyer, you'll see a little picture of him and his family. Uh, Chris and Judy and the family are um, they're part of our church family, actually. Uh, and so we journey with them, support them. Chris is going to bring um, from God's word some, um, for us to listen to and hear. In light of that, I'm going to pray for us and pray for him. Would you join in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we ask what's on your heart for us this morning through your word. As we continue this time of worship, would you use your servant, Chris? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would cause us to be still Cause our hearts to know the great King. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks, mate. I have a theory that whenever somebody brings a glass of water up to a pulpit, it's going to be a long one. Um, No, that's not going to be the case. Hey, how special it is for me this morning to be here on the morning when Anya came and shared. Um, it's kind of all looped together, but isn't that the way God's kingdom works? That uh, the, the more you go on walking with Jesus, you find uh, people that have been involved in this or gone there and they love Jesus too and you just keep crossing paths. It is just the best. And listen, I want to thank you guys as a church. It has been one of the greatest comforts to Judy and I to know how closely you guys, as our church family, are working with those guys that's also our church family and uh, that you're all together and we're all tracking together and there's one kingdom that's coming in this world and God's doing amazing things everywhere and, and it all just ties up to his glory. Um, we were really so sad and so grieved uh, to leave Apollo uh, a couple of years ago and it, it was right before God he, he called us and he's been really faithful in our lives since then in continuing to direct us in ministry but when we were so sad this was a great comfort that Canterbury and Apollo are tracking on in kingdom work together so thank you so much a little bit of an update uh, let me uh, I am on so let me point and is it going to work it's not working that's alright you know what, this, this always works. And I said to them this morning, this always works. So that's all right. It's not going to work. Oh, well, let's click it through. We always have, oh, no, no, that's way too far. And you, now, now you've, you, that's, that was my big reveal. <laughs> um, I've taken up a little hobby. Um, so um, this is us now. Uh, for those that haven't uh, been able to, for various reasons, track along, uh, this is us now, and the family do send their greetings and their deep apologies that they can't be with us today. Um, you kind of got the second-rate version, but that's okay. If they were here, it would be even better. But uh, they are fellowshipping in Auckland, New Zealand this morning where we now live, and they are doing well. Uh, just to let you know, in brief summary... Uh, how is life for the Ayers family in New Zealand? How's ministry? It's really good. Let me just tell you that um, it's full of challenges, full of learning new things. The uh, learning curve is very steep, but God 
is amazing. If you've never experienced that for yourself, let me just assure you again, God is awesome. And he is so actively involved in his children's lives. And so we can just testify to God's goodness in providing for us and continuing to lead us and teach us new things, not just about what we're doing, but about himself. And that's the most precious thing to us of all. I do want to just say that, you know, um, no, it's just not going to work. That's okay. We'll flick to the next one. Just to remind you, our, our, some of you don't know us, and our relationship with the church has been here for a while. So we'll go to the next slide. And uh, it's... There we go. That's what we looked like when we left in 2008. And just so, I just think, well, time's passed. But isn't God good in the fact of... Um, the fact that kids have grown as they should and, and we're still here and we're still smiling, still praising Jesus. So we love that. So just keep rolling it through. I don't want to dwell because I do want to spend the majority of time in, in the Word. Um, and whatever the next one is, it's probably not important. So there you go. It's blank. Um, this morning, I want to uh, spend time... Oh, that's it. Grab a prayer card. <laughs> it's reasonably important, actually. Um, my prayer cards or our prayer cards are right next to Anya's. They're on the same table. The other thing is, if you haven't been tracking with our story in ministry, which we think is a fantastic story of God's goodness, um, and you would like to, there's a place where you can sign up to get our newsletters too. So if you want Anya's newsletters when they're going to come, put a star next to the what you write on our page and I'll pass that on to Anya as well. Um, we're going to spend some time this morning in the word in the gospel of Mark. And to be honest, church, uh, the topic I'm going to be speaking to you about today, just for a short time, is not one that I am any sort of expert with. In fact, let me be really honest, and I struggle so deeply with this issue of rest. Now, there may be some here who would be able to sit and in, in some confidence say, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at this. Or perhaps you're in a stage of your life where God's taught you some things about this concept. And that excites me because it's not easy. And if you are good at resting and resting with God, I am just want to say bless you and keep pushing on. Some of the things we're going to talk about this morning may seem very simple. This is not going to be rocket science. There may be many aspects of it that you have heard before. But if you're like me, this is a struggle. And so I think it pays us for the glory of God to just stop again and think on this. Let's read in Mark chapter 2. And it says we're going to go there to 3.6. So Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 23. And these are familiar passages, I think, to many of us. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, was going through the cornfields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck ears of corn. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
chapter 3, again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked round at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that again we have time as your family, as children of the living God, to gather together and to ponder a word that you have given us. You have given us a word of truth, a word of power, a word of life. And Lord, we ask that that's exactly what you would place into our lives through today, that you would just help us grow in our understanding of you and who you are, what you're like, how you're asking us to follow you. And Lord Jesus, we ask that not just that we might be blessed, that ultimately that you would be honored. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. Well, um, many years ago, when I still lived on the Sunshine Coast, we were attending a church and one day a gentleman in that church came to me and he said, um, I'm going to go and visit a church in South Brisbane. Are you interested in coming along? And that particular guy, I, I actually did want to spend some time in the car with him, have a chat and just get to know him a little better. So I said, sure. So we jumped in the car and we headed from the Sunshine Coast down to Brisbane. I didn't really know what we were going to be encountering, but um, I thought as soon as we entered the gates of this place that this is a distinctly different church. Um, we went in the building, parked, went in the building. There actually weren't a lot of cars in the car park, and you'll hear why in a moment. But we went in the building, and um, I guess it was a warehousey sort of feel, um, which back in the late 90s was a little bit more different than um, common uh, as it is today. But a warehouse feel, interesting sort of darkish color scheme, pretty plain chairs, but there was something in the middle of the front of that church which really immediately caught my attention. In fact, it was designed to catch everybody's attention. And if you go to the next slide, that is what was at the front of the church, <laughs> was that bike. And it was all polished up and it was sort of set up and had lights all around it, shining off it. And uh, this church used this bike as their main ministry tool. They had felt called by God to minister amongst the drag racing scene. And so they traveled Australia with this bike, which was an incredibly competitive vehicle and uh, had plenty of wins, and they used it to reach out to these people. It was a real struggle for me that day because uh, all the guys that we were talking to, the past, pastors came out, super friendly guys, but lots of leather, lots of tats, lots of long hair. And that's why there weren't many cars in the car park. They're all bikes. Um, and nice bikes too, actually. Um, I was talking to them and hearing about this ministry and the way they do church. And it kind of was outside my realm of experience. I'd grown up in a pretty conservative Presbyterian church. And we didn't ride them. I think in retrospect, perhaps we should have. But, 
But it was a real challenge to me. And I went home that day and it kind of rocked my world. And I was processing before God, what do I think is church? And what's legitimate with church? And what's the right way to do church? And you know, what was undeniable was the effectiveness of this ministry amongst the drag racing scene, that people were actively coming to Jesus Christ on a regular basis. But in some people's eyes, this was pretty rebellious. And as we look at today's passage, I think Jesus was being viewed in a very similar way, as just being rebellious. He wasn't doing it the way it was supposed to be done. This whole issue of Sabbath, here he was walking through the fields and his disciples were picking the corn. You're not allowed to do that. That's not the way you do Sabbath. And then in the very next passage, and Mark clearly here is trying to hone in on this theme. The man with the withered hand is there and Jesus is watching. He knows the issue. He knows the hump that they can't get past. But he heals him anyway. Jesus didn't seem to follow the rules. But of course, we know that Jesus wasn't against Sabbath. He was against traditions. Not at all against the heart. Well, you know, for us today, I don't know about you, but there's something in these sorts of stories as we see Jesus' earthly ministry, and he didn't just do it with Sabbath, he did it with other things. And it's kind of something like, yeah, because this religiosity that ties things up and keeps people from accessing the true nature of a relationship with the living God. We, we see him addressing it and standing up against it, and we like that. You know, verses like Galatians 5.1 that say, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. We hold on to that really closely. I don't know about you, but I do. I love that concept. That Jesus has come and he died on the cross and he paid the price of my sins to set me free. And you know what he wants me to do in my life? Is to walk in that freedom. Although, when it comes to Sabbath, something interesting has happened. We've adopted that position of freedom when it comes to Sabbath. We don't approach Sabbath the way they did back then. But you know what's happened? That we have become really bad at resting. We do not rest well. And that's just the reality. We are the same or very similar to the culture that we are embedded in by the grace of God. They run it a certain way in terms of their lives and we do very similarly. You know, the burnout figures in ministry are incredibly high. You should look them up sometime. Scary, scary stuff. I looked up a little list, a few signs and symptoms, and this is of burnout in ministry. Stress, depression, insufficient sleep and rest, spiritual dryness, loss of motivation for the ministry, feelings of isolation, being alone, susceptibility to temptation, disengaged, and a lack of love for the people that you're actually supposed to be serving. Is that just a list about burnout in ministry or is that a list of burnout in life? And you know what? I read that list 
And I know that list really well. And perhaps you do too. But you know, as we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we see that, you know, while he definitely did this rejection of Sabbath forms and traditions, he was actually brilliant at living in Sabbath rest. It formed the foundation of his life and his ministry. In fact, I'd like to use the term Sabbath rhythms. Jesus knew how to live in the midst of Sabbath rhythms. So, what did Jesus' Sabbath rhythms look like? The first one, Jesus stopped. He stopped. Just a couple of uh, chapters after what we read, of course, we know the very famous story of Jesus in the boat and his disciples. They're all going to the other side. Now, Jesus was exhausted. His ministry was really intense. He was on the go quite a bit. But he did grab the opportunities. And then the, the storm arose. And where was he found by the disciples in the midst of their panic? He was sleeping. Now, we could argue, okay, hey, Chris, we look through the rest of the Gospels. And, you know, how much did Jesus actually rest? I think quite a bit. Quite a bit. If we look at other passages in Mark, there's five or six other times where he clearly withdrew and just stopped what he was doing. Now, of course, the intention of Sabbath was very much stopping. Back in Exodus 20, in verses 8 to 10, it said this. You know these words, perhaps. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Stop. Stop. Stopping what we do. That's actually not easy to do. We are so good at finding something to fill in. Oh, spare time's there. And our mind automatically goes to what should that be used to do? To stop takes an overt decision. The second thing Jesus did, apart from stopping, is withdrawing. And we see that the first thing he did was actually in his location, he went away from where he was normally operating in ministry. This is a, a very basic principle. We often think that we can stop, but still in the midst of all the normal structures and parameters that we are dealing with and operating with. And I have found in my own life the value of actually going somewhere different that doesn't look the same. What my eyes are taking in, what my ears are hearing needs to be different. Otherwise, I'm being pulled back into the rhythms of my activities. Jesus did this. He went to a desolate place, it says in Mark 1.35. He went up on the mountain away in chapter 6, verse 46. And this is somewhere that's peaceful, without distraction, that's helpful to us to achieve these goals. In Mark 6.31, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going where they were, and they had no leisure even to eat. The second thing we see is not just away, but 
And Jesus sometimes did that with his disciples, his close disciples. But he also went at times alone, on his own. I find often that people are a bit scared to be alone because of what you have to look at and face and think about when you're on your own. But ultimately, we're never on our own. When we go to be alone, we're actually going to be with our Heavenly Father. And that's not a terrible place at all. It's beautiful. Luke 5, 15 and 16 tells us that Jesus often, often, it was his rhythm to withdraw to lonely places and pray. The third thing we see Jesus doing is focusing. He didn't use this time to just do nothing. It was time dedicated to relationship, relationship with his dad. Of course, for us today, we know the gifts that God has given us to facilitate the relationship, prayer and his word. Of course, being a relationship, that means speaking and listening. That's the way relationships work. Now, all of these components, to one degree or another, were actually intended to be part of the original intention of Sabbath. If you go back to Exodus and look at the entirety of the law, you see these elements. Of course, temple worship had elements in it in the Old Testament that were very corporate, but others that were very individual. They had some that were more overt and loud and others that were very quiet. Of course, when they built the temple, there was no noise, no tools in that place. Stopping, withdrawing, focusing. You know, it's really interesting though is when you look at that definition of rest and you think of how we do rest there's a really big difference isn't there between recreational activities and rest recreational activities we're pretty good at this this weekend i'm going to go and rest i'm going to go water skiing this weekend i'm going to go and rest i'm going to take the kids shopping this weekend i'm going to rest i'm going to go to the movies You know, there is nothing wrong with any of those things. These are good things in our lives. They help us switch gears. They give us other things to think about. They connect us with people that we wouldn't normally connect with. These are good things, but they are not rest. Rest is different. Rest has deeper purposes. Well, what are the reasons for rest? It's quick. To, it's easy to quickly shoot off some, some reasons. But as I've personally been pondering with God, why, Lord, why rest? I think this is a beautiful picture. The first thing that rest facilitates in our life is care. Self-care. We have a basic need for sleep and recuperation. We can't just keep going. God's built us that way. And so we actually need to attend to our state of health and well-being. But of course, self-care is actually temple care. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said this to the Corinthian church, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Temple care. This means that we actually are God's dwelling place. And if we look after us, we worship Him. 
just like they did with temple worship in the Old Testament. Care for the temple, worship our God. So care. Secondly, calm. In the midst of this crazy life, rest facilitates calm. Now, what sort of calm? Well, I'm talking about a calm that is deep to the core soul level of who we are. Because when we rest, we have the opportunity to remember who God actually is. We can remember what God has done for us. We can remember the many promises God has made us. We can come and overtly unburden our our lives into his hands and give the cares to him on the basis of the promises he's given us, on the basis of who he is, on the basis of what he's done. We actually can come to our Father and give him all of the stresses and the anxieties and the burdens. And we have peace. Hebrews 3 talks about entering into his rest. It says the folks in the Old Testament, they missed that opportunity. They didn't enter into his rest. And we in Christ have been given that opportunity to step in and know deep soul-level peace. This is not works-based living, but spirit-empowered living. And of course, when we are calm, guess what happens? We sleep better. I don't know about you, but I don't wake up at 4 a.m. when my life is at peace. The third thing that rest does for us is it facilitates communion. Be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. This is where we don't just dwell on what God can do and does do, but who God actually is in his very character. This is our God of love, of grace, of mercy, of justice. This is our Savior. This is our Redeemer. This is our Lord. This is our Creator. This is our beginning and our end. This is the very breath that we breathe as Christian believers, our God. It is really different to know facts about Jesus, but instead actually experience those things in a relational context. This is where who Jesus is actually affects us. It changes us. We have different emotional reactions. We think different thoughts. We respond differently to situations. God's very character completely changes the paradigm of how we live and function. It's relationship. It's where we can say, I know God. Not know God. I know God. Because of how he is with me, how he affects me, how he changes me, how I think, how I feel. Communion. And the fourth thing that rest does for us is clarity. It is so easy in the midst of life to really lose focus of how this life is even supposed to operate. We know that God has called us as his children to do certain things and and be with him and and respond certain ways. But in, in the craziness of life, it all gets lost and we can't even remember how that's supposed to practically function. 
when we rest, suddenly we have the opportunity to hear his voice again, speaking through his word. Sometimes just even in our hearts, speaking spirit to spirit, reminding us of the truth of his word. To hear his voice, to know his will for us, to be able to respond to that in faith and obedience. You know, this is knowing not just what to do, but perhaps even more importantly sometimes, what not to do. Isaiah thirty twenty one says, and this was a, just a beautiful verse that God gave Judy and I in the midst of some dark days, not knowing where to walk and what, how to move forward. And when you turn to the right or to the left, Isaiah says to the children of Israel, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. And John, in his gospel, tells us that these words of Jesus, my sheep, they hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. Clarity. Well, four good reasons to rest. But you know what these four reasons really form the basis of is a missional life. You were wondering, when's he going to talk about mission? It's now. This is the foundation of a missional life, which whether you realize it or not, whether you're right there at the moment with Jesus in your walk at this point or not, it's actually the call to every single one of us. We've done it around the world. Others here have done it in different places. For you, it might be here, there, or anywhere. But you are called to a missional life in Christ. And if you are serious about stepping into that, if you want to know Jesus that deeply and experience him in your life that way, you rest you rest. Because here's the deal. The care of rest, this helps us be ready for mission. We are in a state where we are prepared and ready to rock with whatever he has for us. God has a plan for your life and he has a plan for mine. And all he wants us to do is be ready to walk. Care is preparedness. The calm of rest, well, that gives us the how of mission. You can't do mission unless you are going to be in a state of dependence on God, where you know those promises he's given us, where you know who he is, where you know what's going on in terms of a proper biblical understanding of what it is to be his child. Mission doesn't happen without Jesus. It's as simple as that. And so to be able to walk into what he has for you, you need to de-stress, lift the burden, and have the peace of God of knowing how this operates. Communion, well, that gives us the why of mission. It gives us the passion. It's the things that brings the tears to our eyes. It's what drives us that other people may know our Jesus. He is so beautiful. He is so wonderful. And we know it not because we've read it. We know it because he's doing things in us every day. We know him. 
and we would do anything that others might as well. And then the clarity. Well, that gives us the what of mission. Where do we go? What do we say? Who am I supposed to meet today? Lord, guide me. Guide my steps that your will may be done. Well, we've got a good example. This is the way Jesus did mission. In full dependence, in relationship with his dad, facilitated through rest. You know, Sabbath wasn't given to be a burden. I think as a kid, we used to have to have Sunday afternoon sleeps. Oh, I hated those. Oh, the most boring thing in the world. No, I never got it. It wasn't meant to be a burden. Sabbath rhythms are the biggest blessing that we have been given beyond Christ himself. We've been given Christ and then we've been given everything we need to actually dwell and live with him. To be useful in his hands and to have a hope that our lives by grace may somehow glorify him. It's about peace, not performance. It's about relationship, not results. Our lives are not about doing mission for Jesus, but living a missional life in him. In closing, it's easy to argue. We've got a lot of arguments. There's too much to do. We've all said it. There is just too much to do. I'm so stressed. I look at the ministry of Jesus and the list of what he could do just went on and on and on. The people wanted more. Constantly, constantly, constantly. How did he know to move on? When to do that? When to stay? When to extend the meeting and keep healing and when to withdraw? How did he know how to do that? There's always too much to do. That's always going to be the case in our lives. So the decision needs to be made that for the glory of God, we rest. Secondly, I'm going to wait to do the resting when there's the natural window of opportunity. Yeah, okay. Guilty. (laughs) Um, You know what? It's never going to come. As I said, we are really good at filling in the gaps. We're good at heading to the recreation if there's any spare time rather than the rest. It's not coming. Make the decision. Set up the rhythms. Thirdly, the expectations of others. You know, sometimes when Jesus did withdraw, he came back and they said, where did you go? What's the story? We expect you to be here. You've got responsibilities. You know, a couple of things with expectations. One, some of them are real. And you're just going to have to disappoint people. Things are just not going to be always be done. And that's okay. Secondly, there's a whole portion of expectations that actually aren't even there. We create them ourselves. What other people are expecting of us isn't necessarily there at all. You know, I said to my dad on the phone a few days ago, I was telling him about this sermon. I said, yeah, I'm going to talk about an argument where, you know, that thing of there's too much to do. He said, is there? He said, I don't think God gives us too much to do. It's just knowing what he's given us to do. And usually that amount is spot on. It's a good word. So time to reflect. First question. And... 
think about this for a moment. Do you find it hard to rest? Next one. What things in particular make it hard for you to rest? I've mentioned some today. Maybe there's others. Thirdly, how could you begin to establish some Sabbath rhythms in your life? Because let me tell you, if you've answered yes to the first couple of questions, you've got to look at this. God is calling you to look at this. And fourthly, this coming week, just one thing. Start with one thing. What could you do this week that's going to start the implementation of some Sabbath rhythms? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift that you have given us in rest, and not just any rest, but Sabbath rhythms in our life. We thank you for that call. We thank you for that privilege. And we thank you that ultimately at the heart of this is a life that is deeper embedded in you. Lord, a life that is more empowered by you, guided by you, more honoring to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that you are worthy of all praise and honor. And we do, in our hearts as your children, we want to give you everything we can. Lord Jesus, may we more and more learn what it is practically in our lives to give you our rest and to make that an offering. Lord, would you teach us just simply, nothing complicated, we know that, but just simply in our lives, how we might be able to be brave and just make the little changes, start the journey of what it is to more and more learn to rest in you. Lord, we want to thank you for the life you've called us to live. We thank you that we've been called to be missional in our lives, that our lives have been designed by grace in Christ Jesus to shine like the sun and to be a blessing in the lives of others. But Lord Jesus, we know that sometimes we get in the way of that. Lord, would you help us? Help us know what it is to have Sabbath rest in our lives for your honor and for your glory. We commit this into your hands. Amen.